Amen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, worship team, for leading us this morning. Good morning, Trinity Church. That was a little weak. Let's try again. I need to hear those online as well. Would you help us? Good morning, Trinity Church. That's better. Thank you, those online, for shouting a little louder. That helped. Uh, we are so glad that you're here. Thanks for being a part of Trinity Church. It's great to see each week. I think we kind of bring a few other people back that have been kind of waiting, waiting it out. And so it's good to see some old faces, new again, back again. And uh, it's been great to gather. And thanks for singing along these songs this morning. If you noticed, if you were paying attention as we sang, the words were focused on God's presence with us and help with us when we're struggling, when we're suffering, when things are hard, trials come. That's the context of our, of our text, of our scripture passage today. So uh, you're going to hear that again to kind of get us focused on what God has to say to us today. Um, let me say, too, about Jason mentioned the November 1 fall celebration. This is a beautiful day out there today, isn't it? And this is what we need to pray for on November 1. When we're going to be outside at the terraces, the point, the point to get is to get all of us together in one service, in one place, praising God. It's where we praise Him for His faithfulness to us as a church throughout the years. And we're celebrating, I think it's 17 this year. I think that's right. And uh, so please put that on your calendar. Try to plan to join us. If the weather prevents, we'll be back in here, but otherwise we're planning to be outside for that uh, service on the 1st of November. And uh, let me say, too, a thank you to those of you who gave. We, last month, we presented to you an update on the ministry in Casa de Abbey and our missionaries, Karen and Michael Vincent, down there in Honduras with that ministry. We told you about the needs that they had and the struggles. They were talking about suffering. They were going through it down in Honduras with this COVID stuff. And so you gave, and these precious little girls were blessed. So we just wanted to see some of their faces. Michael sent us these, these pictures. They have a playground now. That's what we gave to. So in their backyard, they've got a place to play when they're sheltering in place. They've got a four-swing playground and a monkey bars, and they've been having a great time with that. So thank you for responding. Thank you for giving and blessing these precious little girls who are being rescued down there in Honduras. Um, I just wanted you to hear that and see some of these pictures, and thank you for giving. You are always so faithful to do that, and God is faithful to use our gifts for His glory. So let's pray together. Let's, as we go into His Word, let's ask God to be our teacher today. Lord, we thank you for this time. Thank you for this opportunity to, to be focused on you and your word, to listen to you in this time. And so I pray that you help us do that for those of us that are right here as well as those that are listening and tuning in online. Lord, give us that focus this morning, that, that openness to your word to hear from you. Lord God, we know when we talk about trials and suffering, this is not our favorite thing to think about or talk about. But Lord, you have so much to teach us in the midst of that. So help us learn, help us, help us be ready to respond in the right way when those struggles come into our lives. So use this passage in 1 Peter to teach. And I pray that you guard my words, help me to accurately, rightly communicate your word, dividing your truth, and may it be the power of your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word at work in us and through us to transform us into the image of Jesus. So we give you ourselves, we give you this time. May you be honored and glorified in all we do. In Jesus' name, amen. It's really one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And it came at a time when the early church was struggling perhaps the most. Stephen had already been martyred for his faith. The church in Jerusalem was being scattered because of persecution, having to leave the city spread out all over the place just to get away from them. They were running for their lives. 
James, the brother of John, one of the apostles, one of the inner circle with Jesus, had already been executed by King Herod. And King Herod had grabbed Peter as well, hoping probably to snuff out this Christian movement and nip it in the bud. And so Peter was in prison awaiting his trial and probable execution. And here's where the story gets interesting because the church began to pray. These little pockets, these house churches all over Jerusalem beginning to pray for Peter. Peter's in prison. It's the night before his trial and he's sleeping. That's some pretty good faith going on right there that he would sleep before he's about to be pulled out to trial and probable death. He's sleeping. He's chained. He's shackled between two guards And suddenly an angel comes and strikes him on the side. That's what Acts 12 tells us. Now, can you imagine in a deep sleep an angel hitting you on your side? I mean, that's quite a wake-up call. And, And the text tells us in Acts 12 that Peter is told by the angel, now get up and put on your clothes and your cloak and your sandals and follow me. We're getting out of here. And so they go. The the shackles fall off. They walk past these guards asleep. The text tells us in Acts 12, the the gates open by themselves. The angel takes Peter out into the city and then disappears. And this whole time, the text says, Peter thought he was having a vision or a dream of some kind. And all of a sudden, he just kind of slaps himself and wakes up and it's real. It's really happening. So he goes to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark. And there's a group there praying for him. And he knocks on the door. And you remember the story. The servant girl, Rhoda, comes to the door, and she hears Peter's voice saying, let me in. And she knows it's Peter, but she's so excited and so uh, incredulous about it, she runs back and tells the group. She doesn't even open the door. And they hear her saying, Peter's at the door. And they say, no, it can't be Peter. Let's keep praying for him. He can't be at the door. (laughs) So they're praying for what they don't really believe can happen. That's another story. And finally, she communicates this to him, to them, and, and they come to the door and let Peter in, and he tells how God delivered him. Now, that same Peter that experienced that is the Peter who writes this passage that we're going to study today. And I tell you that story to begin with because Peter has the experience of persecution and suffering. He has seen God deliver in the midst of that. He has walked through it himself. And so these many years later, he writes to this church and believers in Asia Minor who were suffering persecution, and he tells them, he encourages them, he teaches them what to do, how to survive this, how to get through this. And so as we come to this text this morning, I just encourage you to to hear what Peter has to say. He he has the authority to speak into this issue. And we're going to the last part of chapter four in 1 Peter. We've called this series Living Hope because Peter is continually telling us how we can have hope in the midst of our lives here. And today it's especially important, hope in the midst of struggle and suffering and trials. And he comes back to this theme of suffering as he's mentioned it a few times already and now he dives in deeper than he has yet. And and I just want to say before we get into the passage, there are a number of reasons for suffering. We kind of know this. So let me just describe this for you so you kind of see where we're landing today. It's this question of why do we suffer? Well, sometimes we suffer just because we're part of a sinful fallen world, right? So natural disasters and illnesses and viruses and and things happen in our world because we live in a cursed world. 
Sometimes we suffer because of our own sin. Because we disobey God and we suffer the consequences of our sin, that we suffer. But sometimes, and this is where we focus this morning, sometimes we suffer because Satan attacks. And the Bible's very clear that Satan is always attacking God's people. And when he attacks, sometimes it comes through overall oppression, maybe a, a government oppression like Peter was experiencing. Maybe it becomes, comes because of some ethnic or religious uh, battle between two factions and, and they experienced like, like Jews in the Holocaust who suffered because of that, because they were Jews. Or sometimes it comes just because you have a, a neighbor or a coworker who finds out you're a believer and they just begin to ridicule your faith. That might be Satan's attack on you. And sometimes Satan just attacks very personally and very directly. He attacks our livelihood, our, our, our bodies, our families, like what happened to Job specifically an attack from the enemy because we're following God. And so Peter, as he speaks to this this morning, he is ex- expressing this, that, that all, these come in all different forms when those attacks come from Satan, but when they come because we know Christ and follow Christ, that's maybe when they're the hardest. And so we are part of a fellowship of suffering. And that's our title for this morning, The Fellowship of Suffering. And you'll see a little bit more why I've chosen that title in just a moment. Turn, please, in your Bible to 1 Peter chapter 4, right to the end of the passage, verses 12 to 19, 1 Peter chapter 4. Grab your phone, your device. If you're home and watching, please get a Bible beside you and follow with us. I want you to see this in the text. This is some great verses. And we have this morning four principles for suffering, what Peter teaches us about suffering. Here's the first. Suffering serves as an expected test of faith. This maybe is perhaps the most common thing, the most, our best understanding of what we're going to see this morning. So he says in verse 12, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So I don't know about you, but what grabs me in this verse is this phrase, fiery ordeal. There's a fiery ordeal that happens now, what does Peter mean? What is he, why is he using this? And, and, and what was happening that he would use this phrase, right? So we've talked about this before, that this church and these believers in Asia Minor, that Peter doesn't tell us, and we don't know for sure what the persecution was. What we do know is that when Peter wrote this, that the emperor, the Roman emperor Nero, was ramping up his persecution of Christians. And so whether it reached them in Asia Minor or not, or how much it had reached them, we don't know. But there was some kind of persecution. And by this phrase, we know it must have been difficult. It must have been painful. But we also know it was purposeful. So let me take you back to chapter 1, verse 7, one of our first sermons in this series. And look at this verse. Look what Peter says. He says, trials come Suffering comes to refine your faith. And that fire, just like it refines gold, is, has a refining effect on your belief, on your faith. So the purpose of this fiery ordeal is to test our faith. So Peter's saying here, the same thing he says back in chapter 1, verse 7. He's kind of picking up that idea, and now he's applying it in a very personal way. And it's important for us to remember this because when trials come in our lives, it's not that God is trying to destroy you or knock you down. He's doing this to strengthen and enlarge your faith. 
This is important for us to remember that God has a good purpose, which is why Peter can say here, don't be surprised at this. And we shouldn't be surprised because Jesus told his followers early on that this would be part of this, that they would be arrested, that they would be flogged. Matthew 10, verse 7, we can put this up on the screen as well. Jesus warned his followers, this is the way it's going to be. And it had been happening. All that Jesus said had been happening to Peter and to Paul and so many other first century Christians before Peter even wrote this letter. They're living out what Jesus said in another passage. Look at this one, John 15, verse 20. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Don't be surprised. So it means that if you're committed to follow Jesus, and I know this is a hard truth for us to hold to, but don't be surprised when trials and suffering come into your life. Now, this biblical theology flies in the face of what's often called prosperity theology. And you've heard me say this before. Prosperity theology really is not a theology at all, but it's pretty common out there in the Christian world. The idea that God promises us health and wealth if we will follow Him and do what He wants us to do. That's never what Jesus said. It's not what the Bible promises. In fact, Jesus said, as we've already looked at, that there would be struggle and hardship. That's part of the Christian life. He never said that God would give you your best life now. No. He said your best life is yet to come. You know, put it in another context. Many of you have endured PT. Okay, it comes after you've had surgery or recovering from an accident or something. PT, you know what it stands for, right? Physical torture. It's not therapy. This is not therapy at all. It's physical torture. That's what PT really stands for. But I know because I had an ACL replacement years ago and, and I went in for PT, for physical therapy, and the physical therapist said, there, bend your knee as far as you can. Okay, right there, that's as far as I can go. And he said, no, I think you can go a little further. And he moved it until I was screaming in pain. As a physical torturer, that's what he was. Now, I went back three days a week for a number of weeks for that physical torture. Why? Why would, I, why would I submit myself to that? Because I knew that's what I needed to gain back strength and flexibility in my knee. And Peter is saying to us in the spiritual sense, you need this physical, this spiritual therapy in a sense. That's what trials bring. Yes, it's painful, but it's purposeful. God has a purpose in it to strengthen and provide greater flexibility to your faith. He calls us to that. And he says that's the first reason, purpose of suffering in your life. It can serve as an expected test of faith. Second thing is that suffering connects us to Christ and to his glory. Now, this one is extraordinary. This one we don't think about as often when we think about suffering in the Christian life. Peter says, look at verse 13. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Now, okay, just in these two verses, there are so many beautiful, deep truths 
But so just kind of hanging with me, dig, let's dig into this together. Now, if we stopped at verse 12, if that's all we had, and we didn't get to 13 and 14 here, then you would think the Christian life is just kind of endure those trials. Just kind of grin and bear it, grit your teeth, and just kind of get through, and one day in heaven, everything will be better. And sometimes that's how we tend to approach it in our lives. But that's not what the Bible calls us to. What Peter says is the same thing Paul says and what James says, and that is rejoice. Why should we rejoice in our trials? Well, Peter gives us, I think, here three reasons. So follow me along with me here. First reason is that when we suffer, if we're suffering for the name of Christ, then we are in partnership with the suffering of Jesus. Now, what does Peter mean by that? Well, this word participate is the word, the Greek word koinonia. It's a very common word. You've probably heard it before. It means fellowship. So Peter is saying, you are in fellowship with Christ and his suffering. That's why I've titled this sermon, The Fellowship of Suffering. It's not just the fellowship that we have, that we go through suffering together. That's true sometimes. But it's the fellowship we have with Christ because he suffered for us. It doesn't mean we suffer the same things as Jesus did. That's not what Peter is saying. We don't go through flogging and nails and a crown of thorns. No, he's saying that when we suffer for his sake... There's a kind of bonding that happens, a fellowship, a connection that happens with him in the midst of that suffering. It's one of the beautiful things of suffering for Christ. You know, when uh, Beth was going through, and I mentioned this last week, and went going through her cancer, and she went through chemotherapy. There's another therapy that doesn't seem like much of a therapy. She met another woman that was in the infusion, the chemo infusion room with her, just struck up a conversation and found out she was a believer as well. And so they found out there was this bond that happened almost immediately because they shared faith, but also because they were sharing the suffering. They were both going through breast cancer. They were both going through chemo at the same time. Their suffering brought them together and bonded them in a way that nothing else could, a friendship based on suffering and faith. So I brought a picture. We have this hanging in our house, a picture that this woman, Carol, painted for Beth. And she did this because of that bond. She wanted to show her a little picture of the Jeff and Beth chairs out on the beach, kind of looking ahead to after cancer, get you back out on the beach, this friendship that bonded them. And Beth hangs that in our house as a reminder not just of a beach, but of her friend Carol who painted that for her, who she bonded with. And suffering. The second thing Peter says is that this fellowship includes a blessing. It connects us to the fellowship, to the suffering of Christ, but it also brings a blessing, the blessing of God's Spirit. It's an uncommon phrase here, by the way. We have a lot of references in the Bible, obviously, to the Holy Spirit, but rarely with this phrase, the Spirit of glory and of God. It's a unique way of referring to the Holy Spirit. But it helps us here. I love this because when we suffer because of our identification with Christ, then the Holy Spirit reminds us of who we are. We emphasize emphasize that in our singing this morning, right? We are the sons and the daughters of God. And the Holy Spirit says, you belong to Him. And He comes alongside to comfort us and encourage us in the midst of our suffering. So Peter is saying, don't forget you have the blessing of the Holy Spirit in you. 
and he's the spirit of glory. Okay, so remember back when the, when the Israelites were on their way from Egypt to the promised land. They're going through the desert, and God gives them instructions. He says, make this tent, this tabernacle. Build this tabernacle and put it out there, and that will be my dwelling place. And I'm sure when they first built that, Peter, the people must have looked at that and said, this is just a tent. Uh, God's going to live in there? It just looks like a tent like we all live in. It wasn't very impressive until the glory cloud came down and filled that place and that tabernacle became a visual of the holiness and presence of God in their midst. And that is what Peter is saying. He's saying the Spirit is the Spirit of glory and God's glory comes and He indwells in you. See, others can ridicule your faith Insult your faith all they want. But the presence of God is within you. The glory of God has come into you to transform you. The spirit of glory is at work in you. Don't forget that in the midst of suffering. And Peter's not done yet. There's another third, a third reason here why we can rejoice in suffering. It's because this fellowship that we have with Christ means that one day we will participate fully in His glory when He returns. So, don't forget this. It it is about the present, but it's also about the future. If you're suffering for Christ right now, then that participation in His suffering means it's a guarantee that you are participating also in His glory. And that glory is yet to come. Heavenly glory is yet to come. So, earthly suffering is the pathway to heavenly glory. I want to show you two words. I just realized this this week, and I don't know why it never struck me, but the word trials and the word trails. All the same letters, it's just that the A and the I in the middle of the words are switched. And it actually is pretty cool because I think trails are a great illustration of trials. So here's what I mean. If somebody tells me about a great hiking trail, and they say, you know, this is going to be a tough trail. You know, it's, it's long, it's uphill, it's just a rugged path. But if you hike this trail, if you make it to the end, there's this beautiful view or there's a beautiful waterfall. I'm all in. I'm going to get to that trail. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to voluntarily walk through that struggle and that suffering, whatever it takes to get up that trail. Why? Because I know there's something beautiful and glorious at the end. And the suffering, the struggle, is the pathway to the glory. And that's what Peter is describing here. That's what he's saying. He's saying your suffering is the pathway to the glory that's been promised. So we can rejoice in our suffering. Why? Because it connects us to Christ and because it connects us to His glory now and in the future. Number three, suffering challenges us to examine our lives. This maybe is the hardest part for us, I think, because we don't like examinations, especially if it's internal. We've noted this today already, that the cause of suffering is not always immediately clear, right? So if you're going through a struggle, if you're suffering a trial, you have to step back and say, why is this happening? To say, why is this happening to me, that's a good question. That's not just a complaint. If you're actually asking that question, 
and you're willing to evaluate what's going on in your life, that can be good because there's, there are things to learn in that. Peter says this, verse 15, he says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or a thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So in other words, he's saying there's no joy or glory in your suffering if you're suffering because of your own sin and your own foolishness. If that's the case, then you need to deal with the sin. You need to confess the sin and get right with God. That may be why you're suffering, so evaluate it. And Peter even throws in this word about meddling or meddler because it's not just the big sins, not just if you're a murderer or a thief. He's saying even if, you, even if you're trying to get in other people's business, gossiping, trying to control someone else or something else, a place where you shouldn't be, even that can bring suffering in your life or on other people. He says, if that happens, there's no glory and joy in that kind of suffering. So examine that and ask this question, am I suffering for Christ or am I suffering for sin? So this is the first of three questions we're going to look at. That's a good question to ask. If you find yourself suffering, what's the cause? Is there sin I need to deal with? Check that first. But then Peter takes us back to, well, if you are suffering as a Christian, look at verse 16. However, If you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed. Praise God that you bear that name, the name Christian, which, by the way, is only used three times in the whole Bible. You would think you'd find it everywhere, right? That's what we call ourselves often. We use that term three times right here and two times in Acts. And the two times it's used in Acts, it's almost more in a derogatory sense. It's what other people called Christians accusing them of following Christ. But it's actually a good name because it reminds us that we are following Christ and that we need to stand for His name. We bear His name, even in the name Christian. Now, Peter's a good one to talk about this and talk about shame or lack of shame because he experienced both, right? Remember Peter on the night of Christ's death, in that courtyard, he... He denied that he knew anything about Jesus. He was ashamed of the name of Christ and would not claim to be a follower of Christ. And it brought great sorrow and grief in his life because of that. But he repented of that. He got past that. Jesus forgave him of that. And then a number of weeks later, we find Peter, after he's received the Holy Spirit, now he is speaking out of the name of Christ. He's arrested because of Christ. He's told not to preach in the name of Christ, and he and others are flogged. And what does the Acts 5 tell us? That they, that they were glad to suffer for bearing the name of Christ. Peter moved from shame to joy. And so he says that here, and he calls us to examine our own attitude when we suffer. Am I ashamed of him, or am I thankful for the privilege of bearing his name? That's our second question to ask. If I'm suffering, am I ashamed of Christ, and am I hiding that, or am I glad and praising God and thankful that I can bear his name, even in suffering? The next words are maybe the most difficult in the passage, but I think they hold the key. So hang on, watch this as we go through this, these next couple of verses. Verse 17, for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And then he quotes Proverbs eleven thirty one. He says, if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? 
So follow Peter's point here carefully because when, it's a little disconcerting at first, right? When he talks about judgment on God's people, wait, why? What? When he talks about judgment, he's not referring to punishment for sin. And we know that because Paul tells us very clearly, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is not a condemning kind of judgment. So what is it? Well, the context here has been about trials and difficulties we face. So the kind of judgment he's talking about is the struggle that comes because of our faith. It's that refining discipline, the trials. And he's saying, Peter is saying, if that temporary suffering that we face as believers, if that's hard... How much harder will final judgment be on those who reject the gospel and remain in their sin? See the comparison that he's making. Think of it this way. Believers may suffer for the cause of Christ now, and some of us maybe are even right now, but unbelievers will suffer for their sins forever. Peter's saying, don't forget that when you're in the midst of your, your brief and light trials And we as the righteous may be judged by the world now, but those who reject Christ will be judged by God in eternity. Which should lead us to one more question here. Am I rightly evaluating my suffering in light of eternity? Am I rightly evaluating my suffering in light of eternity? And it should also make us think about eternity for those around us and grieve for those who are going to face a much worse trial and much worse suffering. That needs to be our focus. When we're going through suffering, to recognize that those who don't know Christ will go through something much worse and reach out to them, continue to faithfully present the gospel to them. That should break our hearts. You know, Trinity has recently started supporting a missionary named Shaker. We know this person through Jason, and this is a beautiful picture of their family. They've gone back to their homeland in India after training and, and are ministering to people there. And India is, is a tough place right now. Besides COVID, that's affecting everything in the world, but they're also facing floods. They're facing persecution, I mean, severe persecution Christians in, in India right now in certain places. In an email that he sent this week, he tells about a particular member of their congregation who lost his job because of COVID, had to go home and live with his parents where there are not believers around him. They would not allow him to see any of the other believers, not would allow him to read his Bible, continually attacking him for his faith. He's experiencing true persecution for the name of Christ, as many are in India, and yet When Shaker writes this and he gives his prayer request, you know what his first prayer request is? It's not that persecution would stop. It's not that things would get easier for them. His prayer request is, he says, many are dying without hearing the good news. Pray that more people will hear the good news. See, when we go through suffering for the cause of Christ, it should sensitize us to the need for those who don't know the gospel. A greater desire that they would not suffer eternally because they've not heard about Jesus. So suffering challenges, challenges us to examine our lives, and it creates a greater sensitivity to those who don't know Christ. There's one last thing that suffering does, I think, in our lives that should do, and that is it should lead us to commit and continue. Here's verse 19. Peter's kind of wrapping up his thoughts here, our last verse this morning. 
He says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. And this word commit actually is a banking term. It means to deposit for safekeeping or to entrust, right? When you put your money in a bank, you are entrusting it to that bank. And so Peter is saying, commit yourself, give yourself your life and trust it to him. In the midst of your trials and your suffering, your hardship, commit your life to God for safekeeping. And there's no better place to be. By the way, that's the same word Jesus used when he was suffering on the cross. Remember when he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. Peter talks about God as our faithful creator here, which is a beautiful term, not found elsewhere in Scripture. It's an expression of God's love and his power kind of put together. He's faithful. We know that he's going to be there, and in suffering, we need to know about his faithfulness. But he's also the creator, so we need to know he has the power to help us, to rescue us, to, and one day to make everything new again. He is our faithful creator, so we can entrust our lives to him. But that's not all he says here, because sometimes I think we're satisfied to just get through our trials, just endure them. Just get through this particular difficulty and get life back to normal. Have you been saying that or hearing that recently? We've talked a lot about that regarding this pandemic. Just, we just want to get back to normal. And that's sometimes the way we approach suffering and trials in our lives. But Peter is saying to us here, this is not just about enduring it. It's not just about getting through it. It's not just surviving it. It's thriving in the middle of the suffering. That's what Peter is talking about. It's about rejoicing in our suffering. It's about learning from our suffering. It's about gaining perseverance in our suffering. It's about faithfulness in our suffering. That's why he calls us to continue, keep doing what is right. Because that's the first thing that falls. When we struggle, when we start to suffer, we just turn inward and we stop doing whatever it was that brought on the suffering, which may have been exactly the thing God wanted us to do. Keep obeying, stay faithful. That's more important than your own safety and security. Don't let suffering keep you from continuing to do good. You know where I see this played out right now is these hero firefighters out west. I mean, this is the worst I think it's ever been in terms of the number and span and scope of fires out there. These firefighters, this, this job is not only difficult, it's dangerous. And they get up and get out there every day and every night fighting those fires putting their lives at risk. And, and even though the challenge seems overwhelming, and you look at that map and the fires everywhere, it's like this, this looks like an impossible task, and yet they get out there and do it. It's the very struggle that calls out of them this commitment to continue to fight. And that's what Peter is saying for us. He's saying the very struggle, the suffering that you're going through is what should call out from you that perseverance and that faithfulness to continue to do good no matter what. Keep following Jesus. These amazing purposes for suffering in our lives. Just a review real quick of the four things we looked at this morning. Suffering serves an an, as an expected test of faith. Know that it's coming. Take it as a test. 
Suffering connects us to Christ and His glory, the fellowship of suffering. Suffering challenges us to examine our own lives. That's a good thing. And suffering should lead us to commit and continue no matter what. So as we come to the table this morning, as we will at the close of our service here, you know that this is a picture of Christ's suffering. I mean, the, the bread is a picture of His broken body. The cup is a picture of His spilled blood. But this morning, I hope you will also see here that this is a picture of our fellowship with Him in His suffering. The reminder that if Jesus suffered for you, it's okay if sometimes you have to suffer for His sake, for His name, for His glory. Peter says this in Philippians 3.10. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings. There it is again. Participation, fellowship in His sufferings. And and Paul is saying here, that's what I want to know most of all. The power of His resurrection and the participation or fellowship of His sufferings. That's it. That's everything. That's most important to me. So when we suffer for the cause of Christ, that's when we best understand His death And that's when we best prepare ourselves for our resurrection. As we come to the table and the elements today, let's rejoice in our suffering. And let's thank God for the glory that comes as we continue to follow Him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, We don't like to suffer. We don't like difficulties and struggles in our lives. You know that. You understand that. So, Lord, that's why we need passages like this that remind us of the purpose of suffering, that you don't waste any of that in our lives, that you, you use it to draw us closer to yourself, to remind us of the glory to come, to help us look at our lives and see if we're on track with you. And you use it, Lord, to call us back to a commitment of ourselves wholly to you and a commitment to follow and continue in obedience to you. So, Lord, this morning as we close this service, as we close with communion, celebrating this table, Lord, I pray that you would maybe put in us a a fresh commitment to rejoice in our suffering, knowing that you have a purpose in it. And Lord, as we come to the cross to recognize that you suffered and gave up everything for us. You gave your life for us. So Lord, in a new and fresh way this morning, may we offer our lives wholly, completely, without reservation to you. As we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen.